0: Hey everybody, this is Chad Jordan. I'm the Director of Marketing for Digital Services here at Sport Clips. And today is another special edition of the Sport Clips Hall of Fame podcast. Uh, First and foremost, I'm so pleased to have my guest today. I'm joined, uh, my special guest, can I have you say who you are?
1: My name is Megan Blanchett and I am an area coach in the Northeast. I have been with Sport Clips for about two and a half years now.
0: One of the things that oppresses me about Megan is she's from New England, but she pronounces her R's correctly. <laughs> so uh, so congratulations on that. Um, I know that probably went years of training went into that. Lots and, yeah, of training. Uh, yeah. Finishing school right. and everything to drop the ah Absolutely. Uh, correctly. So uh, glad to have you. I say this is a special edition because this is another survive and advance edition of the podcast in which we celebrate the, uh, the recovery and the success of someone who's overcome addiction in some way, shape, or form. And so that is that is Megan's story. So we're actually going to uh, to talk to her a little bit uh, today about uh, how she survived, how she is still here. The, the fact that she's here and functioning and a success at Sport Clips is a miracle in and of itself, and it's one worth being celebrated. And what our theory is, uh, anyways, is there are others that might relate to her story and to some of these stories that we're sharing Uh, others that might need to to reach out and get help and they just haven't been able to bring themselves to do it. And we're hoping that these podcasts unlock that, that inner potential and that kinetic inner, that potential energy will be transferred into kinetic energy and, uh, and these, these people can, can find recovery and success like Megan has. So Megan, first and foremost, let's uh, let's talk about your your sobriety and h- what are we looking at? How many years? How's how's all that going?
1: So June fourth of two thousand eighteen was three years okay. in sobriety awesome. for me.
0: And do you uh, you throw a party? What do you do uh, every every <laughs> sobriety year anniversary? Is there uh, celebration and uh, cake and balloons and unicorns and rainbows or what are we looking at?
1: Absolutely. Well, um, so for me, my sobriety date is exactly one week after my birthday. Oh, okay. So I sort of do a combined thing. Although, to be honest with you, you know, this year I was <clears throat> 33 years old. Mm, okay. And um, You're my... not a
0: millennial then. Let's see. You, you're just on the cusp of it. I'm like don't...
1: right on. I am okay. a millennial, but okay. I'm like the first couple years right. of it, so don't okay.
0: hold oh, it you against me. Oh, you don't me. want to claim it? No. Then. Okay.
1: All right. <laughs> um, so for me, my my sobriety anniversary is, is a little bit more special to me than my birthday these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to celebrate it with the other people that I'm close to that I'm in recovery with and uh, you know we always find something fun to do
0: I love it everybody has a birthday not everybody has a sobriety recovery day. so that's that's a great anniversary to have so tell me a little bit about uh, about what sobriety looks like how's your life now um, in the last three years what changes have you noticed in yourself ever since you've been um, you know sober
1: so when I first got sober they told me that I only had to change one thing and that was everything. <laughs> and that's exactly what Does has happened. Does that seem happened. overwhelming
0: when you're hearing that? Are you thinking at the time, no, that, um, that's impossible?
1: No, because when I hit my rock bottom, I hit such a deep, dark rock bottom that um, I I was so desperate mm-hmm. for a different life that I was willing to change everything.
0: Uh, Kim, I, I'm always fascinated by, fascinated by the topic of the rock bottom because... My, my personal theory from people that I've, I've known dealing with addiction is until they hit that rock bottom, it's tough to admit that you have a problem, that you're ever really going to change anything. So for you, it, was there a trigger? Was there something that you hit it and you knew it? Or looking back, you went, no, th- that's when I knew my rock bottom, but I didn't know it at the, in the moment.
1: So I knew that I was at my rock bottom. I was uh, homeless. Um, I was living in a tent in the woods, and um, I was... Is this in Connecticut? Yep, yeah, in Bristol, Connecticut, which is where I grew up, went to high school, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, I was, you know, stealing from grocery stores to be able to eat. I was... Um, I didn't have access to bathe, so I would, like, wash up in Burger King bathrooms and, mm-hmm. you know... Um,
0: all the while, are you telling yourself, I'm okay, I got this? Or yeah, are, yeah. are you knowing, I'm, I'm in a horrible state you know, how do you, how do you get there? In other words?
1: So at first I convinced myself that it was like camping, mm-hmm. but it's not like camping, mm-hmm. you know, not having access to like running water or things like that, unless you like go into a, a store or something is not. Uh, and
0: camping something you do once a week with your family yeah. for fun, right. not by yourself to right. survive.
1: Right. So, um, you know, I, I knew that, I couldn't live like that. I knew that if I continued to live like that, that things were gonna get even darker for me. It wasn't even so much about the material possessions I didn't have or the showers that I wasn't able to take as it was um, that I was getting to a point where I really did not care whether I lived or died.
0: What uh, Had there been something, uh, was there a tragedy earlier? I mean, you're now 30-ish, 30, almost 30 you didn't wake up one day an addict, you know, something, this was a snowball effect. So looking back, what are some of the signs that you, you think, man, that's when I should have known that there was a problem or I was in over my head. What, what started this whole thing?
1: Um, so I believe that I was born with this disease. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that I exhibited signs of being, um, a person with an addictive personality mm-hmm. way before I ever picked up a drink or a drug mm-hmm. um I used to like hoard candy and hide it when I was a kid and you know all this other stuff I think um I also have always I have always lived with you know what I call self-centered fear and I think that that's the core of a lot of addicts and alcoholics so
0: w- can you explain that to me what is self-centered fear so, exactly
1: a lot of people, when they think of self-centered, they think of like a big ego, and mm-hmm. they think of like, oh, Why are you I think looking I'm looking at me so awesome. when
0: you say that. Come on. <laughs>
1: yeah. um, you know, a lot of people think of that as as me thinking that I'm awesome. Yeah. Um, but when you put the fear in there, it sort of it becomes something different it becomes like oh my gosh it doesn't everybody know that I am the most important piece of crap in this room mm-hmm. like that's what it feels like mm-hmm. um or you know you think that everybody should be thinking about you before they're thinking about somebody else it's very selfish but it's not ego driven it's it's more it's, it's a fear that's the best way for me to describe it yeah.
0: and uh, and that's something you had recognized child teenage years uh we've talked before off off air uh theater so your performance your performance (laughs) driven right you you Uh like the stage Uh so had it had that been feeding into it that maybe you weren't getting enough attention from this source or that source and so you turned to yourself and and tried to feed that uh that area
1: i think that for me there never could have been enough attention Mm -hmm. i think that if i was standing in the room and or, you know, standing on the biggest mountain in the world and everybody was looking at me, it wouldn't have been enough mm-hmm. for me. Um, it was never enough. I needed more. I have the disease of more, more of anything that makes me feel good. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I still have to be mindful of.
0: So uh, now you're into uh, your 20s. How quickly did the addiction take over? Was it uh, overnight? Was it years something that creeped up on you, and before you knew it, you were overwhelmed?
1: Uh, No. So I I picked up my first drink when I was 17, Uh, my first drug also when I was 17, and um, I knew at that period in time that I didn't drink or drug like my friends. Like, Mm -hmm. I couldn't just put it down like they could. Um, And over a period of did You you felt like you had
0: something to prove, like you got to do it better— or once you started you just didn't feel like you had the stopping mechanism to the the brakes you you couldn't push them that's basically
1: it i couldn't Mm -hmm. push the brakes um you know anytime i i have an allergy to anything that alters my state of mind so when i put it in my body i am powerless to stop putting it in my body until something outside of me stops me whether that is a police officer or me you know passing out or whatever it is Mm -hmm. i am powerless to stop it
0: so um how then did you get to the point where you could stop it? Was was it—a police officer? Was it somebody just saying, Here, "Here's a mirror. Look at yourself right now." Was it you? How did, how did that uh, transpire?
1: Um, so I remember walking down the street, heading back to my tent, and I remember there was a car coming up. You know, behind I was on the sidewalk, and there was a car coming up, and I remember thinking, "I should just jump in front of this car." Mm. Um, and it was at that moment that I knew that I was either going to get help or I was going to die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the things that I was using could have taken my life very quickly. Yeah. So, um, the reality is I didn't even have to jump in front of that car. I knew that it was only a matter of time before. You were on borrowed time, yeah, really, exactly. at that point. Exactly. Um,
0: had that been the first time? You mind if I address suicidal thoughts and, and kind of that because it's uh, mental health and, and suicide are obviously uh, something people have to face. So had that been the first time that that had crept in, uh, how, looking back, how did you survive? How did you tell those voices, no, I'm not going to do this. I, I do have something to live for. Do you, do you remember what, what it took for you to find that, uh, that strength?
1: Um, so it's not the first time I had the thoughts. Um, I, when I was 14, I made sort of a, an attempt, if you will, Mm -hmm. to end my life. Mm -hmm. Um, this was before I ever picked up a drink or a drug, but this is what I'm talking about. When we were just talking about attention, it was more for attention than Mm -hmm. it was for anything else. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest about that. Um, I didn't want to die. I never wanted to die. Mm -hmm. It just, when it came to the point that I didn't care either way. That's when I knew that I had to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you know, I had, I had been toying with the idea of, of getting sober for years. I had tried before. This isn't my first attempt at recovery, mm-hmm. but every time I tried, I thought, well, I'm going to put this substance and this substance down, but I'm going to keep this one. Cause I like this right. one and I'll just put the rest. And of this one's them down. harmless. And so, this one's know. harmless. Right. Exactly. Or I would say, you know, I've never really been a big drinker. So like I can, put down the drugs, but maybe I'll just keep drinking Mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. And those things always took me to a a darker, deeper place than I had was originally in. So Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't my first attempt, but I knew that I had to make a real go of it. And I knew that I just wanted a better life. I didn't want to want to die anymore. I didn't want to be homeless anymore. Like, I mean, I don't know if you've met me, but I am like the glitter sparkle Mm -hmm, unicorn -hmm. unicorn queen of the universe. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. like I for me to not be able to take a shower or not be able to, like, take care of myself in any way. um, That was torture for me.
0: And it shows what a bad place you were in. Yeah, it wasn't you. So uh, how then uh, how then do you go about getting help?
1: Uh, So what I did in the state of Connecticut, we have a a helpline at 211. So mm-hmm. I picked up the phone, and I called 2 1st I called my mom. Um, what, what's
0: going on with your mom at this point? Does she know where you are? Uh, my she mom been- knew where I was. Okay. Yep,
1: she knew where I was. Um, it killed her, but yeah. I was dating someone who was not allowed at her house, mm-hmm. and neither was I mm-hmm. because I had burned that bridge. So she would take phone calls for me, but she lived two blocks away from my tent, and I couldn't go to her house. Mm. Um, so—
0: And And—, and- do you know for a fact that you couldn't go to her house? Oh, I had been told. Okay, you okay. I not. wasn't sure if this, if this was in your mind. If no. you had convinced yourself that it was. No, okay.
1: it was. Um, basically, it was. It came a time, you know, because when you have family members that are un, caught in the grips of addiction um, active addiction, you never want to blame your family members. Yeah. You want to blame the people around them. Mm-hmm. So even though my decisions were mine and I was an adult, I my see. mom wanted to blame my boyfriend at the time. So she forced me to make a choice. It was either him or her and he came with drugs. So I picked him right, right. at the time, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean that, that family dynamic is, um, uh, such a struggle when, especially your mother, right? And for all the parents out there, they know as even as they're listening to this, they would do anything for their kids. There's some bond that once you become a parent, um, it is a parent mm-hmm. that uh, that you could never love anybody the way you love that child. And so for her to see what you're going through, she couldn't I'm, I'm sure she couldn't rationalize. Uh, no, th- this isn't her. Right. So I need to I need to blame somebody else at the time. uh can you can you for those that have family members that are struggling with addiction right now can you describe uh, what it meant for you to know that your mom was around and available and at least willing to take because you called her like you said willing to take your call did, did that was that a throwaway or did that mean everything?
1: Uh, no. So I'm an only child and my mom and I are very, very close. So mm-hmm. the fact that my mother took my phone call and actually took me into her home for one night before I could get a bed and detox mm-hmm. um, meant absolutely everything so to that, me. So
0: that phone call, you, you call her and you say what?
1: I called her and I said, Mom, I'm ready. Okay. I need you to come get me. She knew where I was, mm-hmm. you know, Um and
0: Could you hear the door slam at the house two yes. blocks away and the <laughs> tires squeal? And uh, she had been waiting for this phone call, Absolutely. by the phone.
1: Absolutely. So my mom um, my mom has CML, which stands for chronic myeloid leukemia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, when she had a stem cell transplant back in 2013, I made a promise to her that if she was going to fight for her life, I was going to fight for mine. And I didn't. I didn't right. for two years. I didn't. Um, I said that I was going to and I didn't. And so when so what I, was that eating you up. Like like I'm lying to
0: my mom and here she might be dying and all this. And so, Mm
1: Yeah. Um, so when I, you know, I gotta be honest with you, I don't really know what made me make that phone call that day. Uh, Mm -hmm. now I believe that it was my higher power Mm -hmm. that made me make that phone call. Um, and that made me, that brought me to a detox bed. Um, you know, I believe that my higher power comes to me in the form of other people. Mm -hmm. And I believe that my mother, uh, my, you know, God came to me through my mom Mm -hmm. that day.
0: And you, you, you called, you called her, she's there. You, then you call two one one. I called two one one.
1: Yep, uh, they did not have any beds available in Bristol, which is where I was. Mm-hmm. They had a bed available in Bridgeport, so that's about an hour away, like all the whole way across right. Connecticut. Yeah. Oh, you my know, gosh. <laughs> so um, they told me that I had to get to my nearest emergency room in order to be picked up. So I did. I went to the emergency room. Um, it's a safety thing. They won't pick you up at a house. So I went to my nearest emergency room. They picked me up, and they brought me to detox. It was a a seven-day detox, and um, when I was Was in— Was
0: it seven days of hell, or is it seven days that they're they're walking you, helping you through this, giving you kind of what you need to survive and—
1: uh, for me, it was seven days of relief. Okay. I have detoxed without medication before. That's hell.
0: Okay.
1: Detoxing in a detox facility with medication okay. and a clean bed and, you know, all that stuff mm-hmm. was, was not hell for me. I was so relieved to be there. Yeah. Um, and,
0: and when you did the, the well, let me back up yeah. the seven days of detox with, with no medication. Is that when you were trying it on your own, trying yeah. to quit cold Turkey kind of thing? And,
1: trying to quit cold Turkey yeah. or had run out of money and steam and couldn't, you know, yeah. I uh, couldn't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've detoxed many, many times cold turkey. And, um, you know, the the substance that I was detoxing from will not kill you. But let me tell you, you want to die because it's painful.
0: Yeah. Uh, So after the seven days, then what?
1: After the seven days, I I honestly don't know what my plan was. I I don't know if I thought I was going to go back to the tent. I don't know where I thought I was going. Do you
0: have your uh, license at this point? Your cosmetology? cosmetology? Yeah. Yeah, I
1: got my cosmetology license right out of high school. So, um you know, I had been working in full service salons on and off for 10 years, um, maybe 12 years. I'm licensed in three States. Cause I always thought that a geographical cure was going to, you know, heal my addiction and mm-hmm. it never did. So I'm licensed in Florida and Massachusetts and all these other places. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I could never hold a job for more than a couple of months because either I would become reliable or they would catch me stealing yeah. or, you know. Um, so, yes, I had experience in doing hair, and I was actually pretty good at it. Yeah, I bet. But I couldn't hold a job.
0: Hmm.
1: I couldn't hold a job.
0: Um, and now you go, you start going through the process. Do you – is it A-A-N-A? Do you have some – system that you're working through
1: so when I left detox I made the decision to go to a 28-day inpatient program
0: okay so um, voluntary you're, yes. you're checking yourself in it's yep. not court mandated nope. anything like that
1: nope um I had been arrested um for buying narcotics in front of an undercover police officer a few months before I got sober and what happened was when I went to court, they said, hey, we need you to do a couple of drug classes um, and then we'll wipe this off your record. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very fortunate that they offered me that. And I did those drug classes. But in my experience with those drug classes and the place that they sent me to, the people were not, not there to get recovery. Like the people in the drug class classes weren't sober. Mm-hmm. So that was when I knew like, they were oh, just my there God, to
0: expunge their record. Yeah, sort of thing, or,
1: that was yeah. when I knew like, oh, my God, if these people aren't sober, like I, I'm not even sober in these classes. Like, how is this helping me? Right. Um so that was right before I got sober but yeah so I went to a 28-day program and and when I was in the 28-day program I found out about an intermediate step down sort of program that was another 90 days all in the hospital um mm-hmm. and then and I did that cuz really I mean I was still homeless I had nowhere
0: to go mm-hmm. Um, so are I, you taking these things just kind of as a well at least I'll have a bed a, 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 a roof bed, over my over meals, my head yeah, yeah yeah
1: my insurance was paying uh-huh. for it you yeah. know I was I had um, state insurance at the time and it was paying for it so why not I mean this is a, a healthy place for me to yeah. be a sober place a safe place my counselors are here like yeah why not um, so when I got out of the 90-day program I went to a halfway house in Glastonbury Connecticut and um, When I was at the halfway house, you know, you're still in a program, but they're transitioning you back into like teaching you how to human, Mm -hmm. teaching you how to live in society, teaching you how to like have a bank account and a job and like all these crazy things um, that I had never successfully done at 30 years old. And um, they required me to get a job. So I knew that I had a hairdressing license and I knew that I wanted to use it. And I kept going to all these full service salons and everybody was like, oh, no, we can't really hire you because the rules at the halfway house are you have to be home by five for dinner. So mm. I couldn't work nights, yeah. and I couldn't um, work both weekend days because you only get a pass to work one weekend day at the halfway house. Wow. So Deal breaker there. Yeah, there deal, at a yeah. salon, it yeah. is a deal breaker, yeah. you know? So I too bad
0: they couldn't give Mondays off. Like Mondays, seriously. Day, you know, I I, know. But
1: they—that's not how they did <laughs> it. So I, I had to follow their rules, and and there was a, a sign in a window, and everybody kept telling me about this sign in the window on Main Street in Glastonbury that a Sport Clips was going to be opening, and I had heard of Sport Clips before because um, I'm from Bristol, and there was already a Sport Clips mm-hmm. in Bristol, and I remember seeing the uh, the buddy cards okay this was way before i got sober i remember seeing the buddy cards and going wow if that place gives free haircuts they must really suck Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i was like i would never work in a place that gives free haircuts um so when i saw the sign that sport clips was going to be opening in glastonbury like even the people that worked at the halfway house they're like megan you should go apply there it says they're hiring and i was like i am not Mm -hmm. cutting men's Mm -hmm. hair i am not working in a place that gives free haircuts that place must suck Mm -hmm. i knew nothing about it but i was making all these judgments you know I assumed that I wasn't going to be able to make any money. And I assumed that I, I wasn't going to be able to build a career and I wasn't going to be able to do anything. But the reality of the halfway house is that if you don't have a job in two months, you get kicked out. Hmm. And none of the full service salons were hiring me. OK, <laughs> I see where this is going. So you're desperate.
0: So you're desperate, I'm basically. Desperate. You got nowhere else to turn. <laughs> yes. And who's there for you who's but there sporty. for Sporty?
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> With so- his big inflatable arms. Oh my gosh. So I finally called the number and I remember I got, um, the manager of this store that was going to be opening up. She called me back in like five minutes, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. Um, and I answered the phone and her name is Mallory and she was going to be the manager of the Glastonbury store. So she wanted me to come in for an interview, but she wanted me to go to Bristol, which is where I'm from. Um, but I had no car, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it took me three hours on the bus each way to go to my interview. Oh, wow. Um, but I wanted the straw, I yeah. needed the job. Yeah. So I went and I remember her interviewing me. I remember the technical interview. Um, you know, you got to do a haircut for to make sure that you know how to cut hair. Mm-hmm. And I remember we didn't have any mannequin stands. We had mannequins, but no stands. So she literally sat in a chair and held the mannequin oh head for gosh. me to do the haircut. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um but we does bonded squirm, over that
0: she squirm it around like it was <laughs> no. a three-year-old you know on the chair and no to, my
1: god no, no because okay. she wanted to keep her fingers
0: uh-huh.
1: um but we bonded over that and we sort of clicked right away mm. Mallory and I and uh she offered me the job and I had to go to Bristol for training every day for a week taking so the bu- taking six the bus. hours on the bus every day to train mm-hmm. for five mm-hmm. um But that showed her and my team leader that I wanted it. Yeah. Like I was, I wanted it. And the more I learned about Sport Clips, the more I was like, oh, I was so wrong about Uh this place. Like, it's so good. Um, So they opened the store in January of 2016. So I had gotten sober in June of 2015. In December of 2015, I was hired at Sport Clips. Yeah. So I'm like freshly sober, yeah. and I am like terrified of everything. I even thought like, how am I going to cut hair without drugs? Because mm-hmm. how where I'm, the, I, how am I going to be creative? Yeah. Like you've I never, honestly, you've never done it before, really. Yeah, I've never done it. Yeah. Funny well, thing so, is, I'm better at cutting hair now. Oh, I'm than sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're better at everything. <laughs>
0: what 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 did you find? What were your coping mechanisms? So you're not turning to drugs, alcohol. How how are you getting through uh, those? those days? So
1: I'm living in a halfway house, uh, where I have counselors on all the time, but I also work a a 12 step program. So Mm -hmm. I attend meetings. Um, and I, I started doing this in the early, early stages of rehab. Um, I had a sponsor, Mm -hmm. you know, I was, um, developing a network of other people in recovery around me who were, who were just there and who were amazing. Um, when I first came into recovery, I thought, Oh my gosh, how am I ever going to have fun again? Um, but and then I started having a lot of fun, like more fun than I ever had before I got sober. So that's kind of how I got through a couple people that were really close to me. My 12 step fellowship, my meetings, you know, that's that's what it was for me.
0: And you you didn't just you, you were a team member. You got hired on as a, a stylist, right? I did. So does that transition into more responsibilities down the road <laughs> into 2016? How how does that look?
1: Uh, it took me three weeks to become a key holder. Okay. Yeah.
0: Three weeks of, from being uh, hired yeah. as a stylist? Okay. Uh-huh.
1: To becoming a key holder. Um, Mallory and my team leader, they they saw something in me mm-hmm. that I
0: did and they, not and, see. To, and, and to be clear, they, yeah. they knew you were freshly sober? Mallory and, did. Okay. My team
1: leader didn't yet. I hadn't okay. made the decision to tell him yet. I was nervous about it. Yeah. But when they made me a key holder... I knew that I had to tell mm-hmm. him cuz they're giving me a key to the salon. Yeah. They're giving me a key to the safe. They're g- <laughs> and I'm going, "Are you sure?" Right. You know, cuz I mean, I didn't have a good track record yeah. with this kind of thing. Yeah. Um but they believed in me man they mallory was like you are gonna do great things someday and i didn't believe it then but right. i just was along for the ride i was excited i was happy i was sober i was working i was able to show up for work and, and you were able to, shower, yeah, right? able to shower yeah i was able to shower yeah i yeah, live in a tent yeah so i was living perks. in a great place yeah it was awesome um it took me about two months to become an assistant manager and are
0: we in bristol or are we Where are we're we? in glastonbury because glastonbury. glastonbury hadn't
1: opened yet when i was training in bristol okay. so once okay. glastonbury opened it Got was it. a seven minute bus ride to work yeah um and then i was an assistant manager as an assistant manager living in the place that i was living i was able to save up quite a bit of money uh within the first couple of months and i bought my first not my first car but the first car yeah. i've ever bought myself mm-hmm. Um, so I bought the car and after I got the car, my team Wait, leader, what did
0: you name the car? I'm sure you had to name it something Misty. creative. The Misty. The car's name was Misty. Okay. Yeah.
1: It was a, it was a Sebring and it was like a bluish greenish silverish okay. color. Actually my mom named it Misty. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So Misty, the car, uh, got me to and from work and, um, my team leader was opening another store. He had more licenses. He was opening another store in Enfield, Connecticut. And uh, he called me one day. I'll never forget. I was shopping with my friend Brittany at Old Navy. And he called me and he said, hey, Megan, you know I'm opening the store in Enfield, right? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I really want you to be the manager. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> did you just say you were shopping? I was
0: shopping. So did you then go out and say, well, let me think. Uh, I can put a little bit more on this credit card now if he's going to make me promote me to manager. Oh, my
1: gosh. I was so, so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to share that with my friend Brittany, who's, you know, another woman in recovery that mm-hmm. I was just spending the day with having some fun. It was it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, so I took that job, opened up Enfield, but I told Nico when I was you know, hired as the manager. I said, listen, my and goal Nico is being your team. leader. Nico being yep. my team leader. Yes. Um, I, my goal is to be a coach. He said, well, Megan, if you give me, you know, six months to a year, get Enfield up and running, like I know you can, then I support you. You know, mm-hmm. I want you to follow your dreams, which,
0: which is amazing because obviously coaches are rock stars here at sport clips, but they were rock star managers first that it has to pain a team leader. To not have them, uh, you know, in, in running a store. Now, of course, they're building the, the, the their geographical region and training yeah. other style. They're yeah. they're helping in a different way. Yeah. But for for him to do that and see that in you and, and bless it, yeah, uh, is, is pretty cool.
1: And you know, Nico, I love you. But but there was a little pushback when the uh, yeah. when the position finally okay. became available. Yeah, <laughs> so <laughs> he's having to
0: change of heart. Now it the was truth a little, comes he out. He was like, "Are you sure you're ready for this?" And I was like, "Are <laughs> you, you get sure you're five ready?" To ten years yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: before uh, we do this exactly exactly so um i was in enfield for about a year and uh and then a position opened up for an area coach position And I knew I always wanted to be an educator Like I knew that my technical skills were always there And my technical skills were not there From hair school They were mm-hmm. there from people teaching me behind the chair And I wanted to give that back mm-hmm. um, You know the way I cut hair isn't only mine I didn't invent it I was taught it And I wanted to teach that to somebody else um, So I knew I wanted to be an educator I had been through a couple of grand openings As a stylist and as a manager And I knew that that was just something That I wanted to be a part of Um, I loved the idea of coaching. So when the coaching position became available, um, I, with the consent of Nico, after a little bit of, you know, talking Mm -hmm. and negotiating. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. arm wrestling. Right. Um, I applied for the position and I, it felt like I was applying for NASA. There were no, so yes. many interviews.
0: Uh-huh. It's more important than NASA. Let's be honest. <laughs> it's just so much more important
1: than NASA. There were so many interviews, and they were like personality tests uh-huh. and like all these crazy things that I had to take. Um, but I remember at that point I was completely honest and open about my recovery at work. And I remember when I interviewed with the area developer or the area not area developer the area director. Um, I was honest with him and I told him I said hey listen you know here's my story I'm in recovery because it's
0: not widely known at this point it's just it's only known in my family my franchise family Yeah. you
1: know Um, but I wanted to make sure that he knew and I told him and I made it through the interview with him and then I made it through like 17 other interviews and then I had an interview with Earl Blood
0: I think it was 18 if you really were counting it might have been 23 I don't even know
1: But then I had an interview with Earl Blood, and I remember Earl saying to me, you know, because um, my area director had mentioned to Earl, like, hey, this is what she told me. So I just, you know, which is fine with me. Like, I don't I wasn't offended by that at all. But um, I remember Earl saying to me, like, Megan, I just want you to know that, you know, you being honest with me about you being in recovery is a true testament to who you are. And it's a it's a true testament to your character, he said. And I I want you to know that if for any crazy reason you do not get this position, it is not because wow. of that. Um, and I thought that that was pretty amazing. Yeah. I really did.
0: Yeah, You slept well that night. No I did. What. No matter and, what happens. And you get, so what, you get a call, you get, well how, well, how, how, do you find out that?
1: Uh, so the area director calls me and, um, I remember I was at home. So at this point I had graduated from the halfway house mm-hmm. and I was living in a sober house. I was living like renting a room in a house full of sober women who we just all you know, we had common areas, but you each have your own room. And, yeah. you know, I was, I was living in a place like that. And I remember I was in the kitchen, I was cooking, and I, the phone rang and I saw that it was him. So I ran outside cause I didn't have service in the house and I picked up the phone and he said, Hey Megan, this is so-and-so. He said, I just, you know, I want to let you know that that we want to offer you the position as an area coach at sport clips. And I yelled at him. Mm-hmm. I was like, are you like- serious? Like I screamed <laughs> at him. Um, I was so excited. Like this was something that I just wanted so, so bad. And, um, you know, to have this kind of an opportunity like a career, you know, me, the girl who graduated from high school and was too scared to go to college because I knew I couldn't party as much as I wanted there. So I was like, I'll just be a hairdresser. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to have the opportunity to, to build a career, um, in this industry. And it's something that I'm really passionate about and I really love. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable.
0: The, the thing that I, I, I just love as I'm sitting there listening to it three or four years ago, you're, you're you're living in a tent, yeah. you know, like you said, in in the Burger King bathroom, and yep. uh, and to have a flourishing career. I mean, you're a rock star. Uh, the sky's the limit. And you were thinking, I should just end it, right? Yeah. And throw away all this. No mm. way. So uh, super proud. This is why we call this survive and advance. I mean, you're a survivor, and now you're advancing. This is this is so cool. So uh I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it up because uh, you know we're both talkers <laughs> we could be here it, what people don't know is it's really late uh you've driven a long way we're in a hotel conference room recording this and we we literally could just uh, exchange stories the rest of the night but uh but i, I want to celebrate you celebrate uh, uh all that you've overcome uh and um uh, having the courage to pick the phone up and call your mom and, and what that turned into. I I hope someone else can find the strength uh, that's listening to this to do the same. So can I finish with these 10 kind of goofy questions now that we've kind of talked some intense stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, uh, and then I'll let you uh, get on your way. So question number one, we always wrap up with these 10 questions that I cannot ask follow up questions to. So, Whatever you answer, (laughs) I've got to live with. Uh, So, uh, number one, which superpower would you most like to have?
1: Oh, I want to be able to freeze time. That's a no-brainer. Yeah.
0: So, uh, okay, I don't know what I'm trying to think. What your what your name would be if you could freeze time? I'll have to come up with it. And I'll hashtag it to the uh, to this podcast.
1: It's gotta have unicorn in it. Unicorn, I just have to put that out there.
0: Time time freezing unicorn. <laughs> what well number two, what is your personal motto?
1: Oh my goodness. Um I would say huh, I'm living the dream.
0: Living the dream. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Other than where you live now, uh-huh. uh huh. where else in the world would you most like to live?
1: Oh, I just came back from Aruba. And, uh, you know, gifts of being in recovery. I'm able to take vacations today wow. and, uh, yeah, I just was in Aruba for a week and I would totally live in Aruba. Yeah, yeah
0: absolutely. Sign is me up. It wh- is it white sand and blue and, and like crystal water? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I might add that to my list. Uh, number
0: four, who is the celebrity you would most like to meet one day?
1: Oh my gosh. Um,
0: beside yourself. Oh gosh. You know?
1: um and besides chad jordan Mm -hmm. yeah right um i would say oh that's a really good question in person i'd love to meet macklemore he's my favorite rapper i just went to a concert of his recently he's another guy in recovery he's pretty amazing um i'd love to like sit down and have a conversation with him
0: all right well the catch is it's not a follow-up question the catch is if you meet him because we talk about it on the podcast we put out in the universe and all that i just i want you to invite me to the of session course. or get me of an course. autograph or something that's the only <laughs> thing I ask on these uh, okay uh, number five which words or phrases do you most often overuse
1: oh um, I say you'll have that a lot you'll have that yeah okay. like anytime anything happens I go yeah you'll have that okay yeah
0: uh, which sa- what sound or noise do you love
1: laughter okay yeah
0: what sound or noise do you hate
1: Oh, um, I don't know. I would say probably any kind of screaming heavy metal music. Oh, all right. Yeah. That
0: that qualifies. Okay. What profession other than your own would you have been good at or at least have wanted to try?
1: Oh, um, probably... My mom always said that I should be a lawyer because oh, I fight really well. Okay.
0: <laughs> I, I was thinking you are going to say Broadway star no, or actress. No, or Okay. No. All right. Lawyer. Uh, what do you consider your greatest achievement?
1: Oh, my goodness. My recovery, for sure. Yeah, yeah, without a question.
0: And then lastly, if heaven indeed exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, welcome home
0: excellent answer and excellent uh podcast interview thank you megan for this time together thank i was gonna say thank you for being here but i mean that literally thank you for (laughs) making it and surviving uh what you've survived and using this as an uh, opportunity to share an inspirational story that is literally a dream come true so thanks again
1: thank you chad
0: all right and that's been another edition of the sport clips hall of fame podcast Uh, Tune in next time. We hope to have some more good stuff for you. Thanks again.